This is the Digital Workplace Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Weston Morris. In this episode, I'm speaking with the CIO of Unisys, Upinder Fanda. Now, Upinder, with the pandemic going on, I know that you, like the CIOs of many large enterprises, have been working around the clock on business continuity. So thank you so much for carving out some time for our listeners today. Hey, Weston, thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. And, and you know, it's the topic of the moment, right, working from home. So I'm happy to help get a message out. I know that so many different enterprises are actually scrambling. One of the interesting things is I didn't feel like we scrambled here. A couple months ago, we were at about 15% of our employees working from home. And within 48 to 72 hours, that number jumped up to 93%. My question I have to start off with is this initiative to work from home, is that something you started just a few weeks ago when this uh, crisis started? Or is this something that we're benefiting from the result of many, many months or maybe even years of hard work behind the scenes? No, I mean, we didn't just think about working from home while this pandemic has hit the world. When you see a swan on a pond and it's moving very serenely, the feet are going very, very quickly, right? So we had a lot of people put in a lot of hours. Over the last few years, we've been looking at our infrastructure as well as, you know, our communication tools. How do we become more agile? We need to introduce new technology. We need to automate a lot of things that that were being done manually. So to answer your question, I think some of the initiatives we've had going for the last couple of years really helped us. Upinder, would you mind digging in a little deeper? For example, what are some of the programs that you started over the last 12 to, let's say, 24 months to improve IT services, including the digital workplace, that are now proving so important that we are in the state of business continuity? I'll give you an example. We have a fairly large refresh program of our devices. That's been going on for a couple of years. We used to have devices seven or eight years old out there. By the end of last year, uh, we don't have devices older than four. As we were refreshing laptops, we, we had the old devices, which we had not got rid of yet. So we were able to redeploy those to people that didn't have devices in, in their homes. We even, in some cases, you know, had them lift their, their desktop and take it home if they didn't have a device at home and if we couldn't get them a device in time. Now, as we did all this, we had to also ensure security. You know, one of the things I've always said to other companies, the best control you have is that you're using corporate devices at home because your corporate device has all the security profile that you need to ensure that your associates uh, are going to be able to work securely. So as much as we could, uh, you know, we we provided corporate devices to ensure that our security risk is less. You know, the introduction of Zoom for communication between what we had before with Skype, uh, it's been a night and day experience. In, in the satisfaction survey last year, we, we went up the highest uh, increase in the SAT survey result by an organization since we started doing the satisfaction surveys. So uh, security for any corporation is the number one thing. Now, we're lucky because we have our stealth product. And as you know, we've, we've deployed stealth to every device. 
So every associate has stuff on their laptops. We've been running a, a program where we don't want our associates to be dependent on VPN. And uh, so I would say 80% of the people out there do not require VPN because we've enabled that security with stealth and so actually reduced our risk. And I think a lot of companies struggled in this current crisis of having enough VPN licenses because you have to enable your associates at home. We didn't uh, have any of that issue because, you know, we were actually trying to eliminate VPN, securing our associates with, uh, with stealth. And actually, it's way more secure than, than any VPN out there. And it also gives us the ability to dynamically isolate a device if there is any compromise very, very quickly. So it's probably the quickest in the industry. Sure. And then, of course, we've released our self-service bot, Iris, uh, what, 18 months ago. And so, you know, 80, 90% of the common issues that an associate may have or had to ring a help desk, they don't need to anymore and they can fix their problem themselves. So a lot more agile as far as the service we're delivering to our associates. And we are actually a lot more secure than we were five years ago because of stealth. It's interesting. You mentioned security in some of the enterprises that I've spoken with recently. There's been almost a willingness to abandon security. There's a mad scramble to get, say, 20,000 people working from home. And I've heard the security experts bring up a caution or a concern, and they say, no, we don't have to worry about those checkpoints. The top priority is to get these people working from home. And, and I think that's a mistake. And I know we are not doing that. I mean, you and our CISO, Matt Newfield, work very closely together. It's almost unusual how well the two of you work together. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes Matt Newfield talks about the CISO in many cases being the office of no, <laughs> and he tries to make it the office of yes, and people don't understand what that means. But you on the receiving end of that maybe could explain how that relationship actually makes it possible for, for me to work from home securely. I think that's a very good point you brought up. You know, Matt is about being able to say yes. And, and that's very much different to, let's say, some of the CISOs I've come across, uh, you know, in my career. He wants to be secure, but he wants to enable business. That's a great mindset to have because that's the same thing for me. Matt, who, by the way, is, is an expert in his field. Am I an expert in security? No. But then again, is Matt an expert in applications? Is, is Matt an expert in infrastructure? No, he's not. So I think the two of us complement each other pretty well. Oh, Pinder, a lot of the things you're describing here are things that I, as a user, can, can relate to. I'm going the self-service bot check, stealth check, no VPN check, a great device check, UC tools, collaborative tools check. So a lot of these things are things that are what people would consider, you know, really part of the digital workplace. Right. Now, I know you've also made several advances and several changes on the back end and the data center and the cloud that I, as a user, probably am not fully aware of, but I think we're also equally important in making it possible for me and you know 20,000 other employees to work from home. Would you mind commenting on that a little bit, what you did behind the scenes there? Yeah, about four years ago, we ran everything in our data center, all the applications, our ERP applications. Uh, both for our federal business as well as our commercial business, 
um, were all on-premise applications. So about four years ago, we made a decision that we were not going to upgrade any of these anymore on-premise. So every time we were going to look at a change or we were going to look at an application in the cloud. And so that's the strategy we've been following. As you saw, what over a year ago, we introduced Workday and replaced PeopleSoft that used to run out of our data center. Um, we've just made the decision to move our Oracle ERP into the Oracle Cloud. Also, which I think was the real big winner for us, we had 500 servers in our data center and we migrated those servers into the Azure Cloud about a year ago. And so if you look, our cloud journey started about three years ago um, and we were 13% in the cloud at that time. We are currently over 98% in the cloud. I have very little in the data center, either as IaaS, so platform as service, or I'm in, in the vendor cloud, whether it be Workday or Salesforce.com or Eloqua for marketing. So I think, you know, on that front, Western, I think we are one of the leaders as far as how much we have in the cloud. And our flexibility is way greater than it was four years ago. By the way, while we did this, you know, we reduced our cost by around 30%. So it was, uh, it's been an interesting journey. And that 30% is uh, an important point as well, because if I think back to prior to this moving towards the cloud, a larger percentage of our RIT budget was spent on, you know, just maintaining things, right? And now you flip that around. Yeah, because I think every company that goes through this, especially you're going to make quite a lot of change. And normally you would expect some kind of bubble cost on your budget, right? Because you're going to be buying new stuff. You're still going to be running the old stuff. So you have some duplication going on. So there's additional costs. And then, uh, you know, over the next couple of years, you, you start seeing the ROI coming in. Now, we didn't have that luxury. There's not that many lines in an IT budget from a discretionary standpoint. Obviously, your labor line, right, is one. Then you have, you know, your telecoms, your networking, and then you have the maintenance line. Exorbitant amount of money to the Oracles or the Microsofts or whatever, like an insurance policy. If we have a problem, they, you know, they'll help us fix it. So having decided that I was not going to do any upgrades anymore, then I'm thinking, why am I paying these companies this kind of money? Can I get that support cheaper? Meaning, can a third party give me that support? And we did find a third party that actually cut our maintenance cost, uh, let's say with Oracle, by 50%. So that 50%, I was able to fund some of our work stream to achieve our goal of, of moving everything to the cloud. So we self-funded. We went into these areas that I call no-go zone. As you know, historically, the maintenance line in an IT budget doesn't really change much. It may go up a percent, percent and a half every time there's a renewal. Vendors don't negotiate with you when you're on a renewal, right? Because they have you as a captive audience. So, you know, we went into these lines because that's where I had to get the money. And obviously, um, I looked at my labor line as well, and we did a, a significant reduction there as well. Now, it sounds like you're opening up your playbook there, Hoopender. If you're doing that, would you mind sharing some examples of where you've reduced outside vendor costs? 
let's take Microsoft as an example. We have a three-year agreement with them, enterprise agreement that came up for renewal last year. And we went through every part of that agreement as if we were a new customer. And uh, we reduced a lot of stuff that we did not need. Microsoft were pushing us to a different level where there was additional security. This is where Matt Newfield's organization really helped. They looked at what Microsoft were offering us from a security perspective. They told me, no, we already have that covered. We don't need to go to that level. Therefore, I could stay at the level I was. And and uh, actually, we managed to reduce uh, the EA by three million bucks, which uh, helped us fund some of our initiatives. And so, you know, over the four years, we were able to do a lot. As you're describing the Supender, I tell you, I would really like to take a look at the project plans that you put into place to manage these projects. I mean, with all the changes you're talking about, I mean, we're talking about the cloud, security, digital workplace. I guess I'm kind of picturing multiple work streams all going on simultaneously. And that doesn't really sound very manageable. So which work streams did you focus on? I have to pick and choose which ones are the ones that are going to give us the best ROI. So... I was like a gambler who bets on horses. They wake up in the morning, they're going to bet on eight horses. They bet on eight horses, three of them come through. Three of them come through, you break even. So it wasn't a bad day, you didn't lose any money. If five come through, it was a good day because you made money. Now, in our case, we picked eight horses and all eight horses came through. (laughs) Maybe we were lucky, but I think you make your own luck. We picked the right work streams. For example, ServiceNow, four years ago, there were 15 ways you could get hold of IT. Now there is only one. The Azure move, the 500 servers into the Azure cloud, that had a lot of innovation in it. For example, the Oracle ERP, had, and no one had ever moved it into the Azure cloud. Wow. Oracle didn't know how to do it, and Microsoft didn't know how to do it. We did that ourselves. We had to build a lot of bridges uh, where you know, places people had not gone to, uh, to get that done. That's how we looked at our budget and how we could find money that would keep us moving forward. At the same time, you know, reducing costs. I think I only had like three escalations, minor escalations that, that we fixed fairly quickly. But the, the key of all of this, Western, is that I have an incredible team. My people just, just blew me away. The, the, the amount of, of effort and success and ambition they had to making this work was, uh, was mind-boggling. That's a key component. Clearly, your team was essential to making this work, but I've got to believe that other organizations outside of IT were also important to getting these work streams to come out successfully. We had a great partnership with our business. They were on the same page as us. They knew we were making a lot of movement with very little resources and and expected a lot more problems. For example, when I moved to a third party to maintain an Oracle, I was thinking, I'm going to get a lot of problems here as we go forward, right? Because they're not going to be able to do what Oracle can do. I was pleasantly surprised. It was seamless. It was just seamless, and we had hardly any escalation, none at all, actually, all the way through that. The movement to Zoom from Skype, you know, we did that in a three-month period. Our associates uh, worked with us. uh, The senior management worked with us. One of the things when you do this thing is, you know, you're 
your senior management and your CEO and your chairman, you know, have to back you. Because along that journey, you may have a few hurdles and challenges. You know, we have an incredible security group that, that helped us because, you know, we're, we were playing with, you know, the Unisys infrastructure. And, and, and so we had to ensure that we were, were secure. So that was our four years that got us to where we were able to go from like 15% home workers to 93% home workers in a 48-hour period. I'm on a call every day, you know, with our uh, crisis team. And um, they ask me every day, any new infrastructure crisis? And, and I happily report, no, there isn't. You know? <laughs> so sometimes I sit there and wait. and <laughs> It's calm before the storm. You know? When's the shoe going to drop? <laughs> but so far, fingers crossed, things are going good. <laughs> well, Upinder, as I listen to what you've described, you and your team and working together with the CISO and the security teams have done to make it possible for me to work from home for, you know, 20,000 employees to work from home, us to do this podcast so see easily as if we were in the same room together. I'm thinking back to my experience. I don't remember all these massive changes you're talking about, at least not as being as a big surprise. And I'm thinking there's two things that I experienced that I feel were a key to making this successful as well. Clearly, your team and everything you were doing on the back end, but then setting expectations of me and all the other employees as to what's happening. It wasn't a big surprise that we moved from Skype to Zoom. There was lots of communication about it. There was a pilot group. Uh, I was invited to participate in that. I got to see what it was like. We were able to provide feedback. We feel like we're able to share back with the, your organization, hey, this isn't working or that could be different or here's an idea. You set up the Yammer groups specifically for all of these new technologies, whether it was Zoom, whether it was Iris, whether it was a change to Office 365, the move to OneDrive, the move to Windows 10. We had these Yammer groups where we could communicate with each other. We could communicate with your people. And we didn't feel like you, know, you were just throwing stuff over the wall at us and saying, thou shalt now use this. We felt like we were partners with you in making that happen. And so I feel like that's a great part of making this successful. Was that just an accident or was that a thoughtful part of the process as well? Correct. Where we, we started four or five years ago, there wasn't enough communication, what IT was doing, how things were prioritized, and not enough feedback coming from the associates. And so one of the big things that I pushed was that we need to communicate regularly. Um, we've been actually giving guidance to our associates of what's coming down the line which I think is the first time in history that's ever happened. With each initiative, I wanted that feedback because whatever solution I was putting out there, I wanted to know it worked. Now, you can't, in a corporation of 20, 25,000 associates, you can't keep everyone happy every day, right? The Yamaha group is a prime example where I don't keep everyone happy every day. <laughs> But you know who's unhappy and you know why they're unhappy. Yeah. And you know whether it's something you can do something about or whether it's just more communication that's needed. No, I, I agree. And, I, and I'm really glad that you, you feel that our communication and our reaching out enables you to feel that you can actually influence some of these decisions that are being made. Now, there is a time where I'm going to do what I'm going to do because you know, there are reasons for why we're doing it. 
But when we put a solution out there, we want to make sure it's working and also that it's enhancing an associate's ability to do their job. I think 80-90% of the things that we've done in the last three years, I think we achieved it. Are we perfect? No. Are we way better than we were three years ago? Have we learned a lot? Yes. You know, four or five years ago, Western, people would attack UIT. Now today, you will find that we don't get attacked anymore. People want to work with us. We want to work with them. We're a lot closer to the business. We're doing a lot more reference calls for our sales force because we're showcasing things that we're trying to implement for clients. I think we can pretty much take on any scenario. We took on the, you know, the pandemic uh, and so far, touch wood, I think we did a reasonable job. Speaking of the pandemic, Upinder, I'm looking at an announcement from the vice president of our digital workplace services, Nikki Davis. We have global service desks around the world in all kinds of locations, Manila. Uh, we have them in China. We have it in India, of course, in the United States, um, Colombia, Brazil, Budapest. The service desk volume as a result of our customers reacting to the pandemic has gone up 54%. Yet we've been able to handle that, and at the same time, (laughs) move our service desk personnel outside of the service desk locations and have them working from home. Uh, He says he's got just 38 people left in in one location (laughs) that have to be set up. Correct. And I just think that's mind-boggling. Yeah. So um, my question for you is this, Upinder, what is different about that persona, getting them to work from home, than it is for, let's say, someone like myself or someone that's in sales that probably already was using a laptop and already very mobile? What did you have to think about differently to make that happen for them? Two things. One is, can you enable them to work from home? So, you know, you're looking at actually the hardware that they need. Secondly, you have to look at, can you make them secure, right? You have, I would think, very good internet at home. Some of our associates out there don't have internet at home maybe using a hotspot or a dongle, right? And so, you know, their response time, and we've had some of that, you know, where people have thought the applications are slow, but it's not necessarily, it's not that, it's just their their connections are slow. And so we have personas from a security perspective, what you can do is way different to what a call center person can do, right? And so that doesn't change, right? I think you mentioned some companies where, as they were doing it, they had to give up some of their security to enable them, you know, their associates to go work from home. We didn't have any of that challenge. And I don't think we would have ever lowered our security profile because these times are one of the worst times for cyber attacks, right? While companies are running around, they can leave uh, gaps and holes for the bad people. Mm -hmm. So... Really, that was how we addressed it. I want the person in Bangalore or or Manila or Budapest to be able to work from home like Western can. And what do I need to do to enable that, right? And uh, with the tools that we had, we were able to do that. One thing's clear, uh, Upinder, it's not by accident that we're in this situation where 93% of our employees are working from home. Correct. If you could maybe... um... Think about your fellow CIOs, some of our our customers or enterprises out there that are listening to this. 
who may not have been thinking with that same level of, you know, what, of business continuity and, and what does it take for each different persona to work from home. The move to the cloud, the move towards unified communication, mobile device, self-help, self-service. These are all things that you've put into place. What would you recommend to an enterprise CIO that has not been doing this for the last three or four years that perhaps now is scrambling? You know, where do they start? What recommendations do you have for them? They need to know their corporation. They need to know how much change they can absorb. They also need to know how much risk they are willing to take, right? In our case, we wanted this journey to be as short as possible because of the situation we were in as a, as a corporation. Um, we manage that risk. Uh, we enable technology and tools. They may be in a better situation and therefore not ready to take as much risk. So it may be a longer journey for them. But essentially, they have to do pretty much everything that we did. I would ask them to come talk to us. We have a great product in Cloud Forte. It has a structure on what, you know, how you draw your roadmap to get to where you want to get to. It provides tools. We provide experts, you know, how to move to the cloud, as well as security. You know, Stealth is a great product. So if they were coming to me, I would talk to them about those two things and say, that's where I started. Would you mind just summarizing what those steps were? The main strategy was move everything into the cloud. Because once I'm in the cloud, I'm flexible. I can tone up, tone down. I'll give you an example. Prior to this, if the business came to me and said they wanted a new environment and my servers are all full, I'd have to go order servers. There'd be a lead time for that. They'd arrive at the data center. I'd have to get an engineer to go to the data center open the boxes, install the servers, then they test the servers, then I'd put an application on, then I'd test it to make sure, you know, we've got connectivity, get it on the network, get it secure. So eight weeks, I would say, here's your environment. I'm in a situation now, they come to me, I can have that environment up and running within an hour. How do you contact IT? Uh, how do you communicate with them? How do we give feedback to our associates? How do we get associates closer to us? The service now. So we up our communication, we change the tool, you know, we started connecting. I think one of the things was one of the last things which we're addressing now is the skill sets that you require within IT. Five years ago, we were, you know, running everything, maintaining everything. And now we're really getting all of that as a service. Our providers, uh, whether it's Oracle or, or Microsoft, or, they are running the applications. And, and really, our role in IT becomes more of an orchestrator so that we now work closely with business. What, the, what is the requirement? Then we go look at what is the right tool in the cloud. We bring the two together and, and get an implementation partner and implement it, and off you go. So the skill sets for that are way different to patching and upgrading and uh, end of service life. All of that stuff is really in the past, right? Making sure that our laptops, our devices are being within the four-year window, right? We had a big push for self-help, introducing Iris and ServiceNow. We've reduced our help desk tickets by 80%. 
80% of the calls that used to go to the help desk don't go there anymore. People are able to help themselves. And I'd like to get that in the high 90s. So all of those things, when we first started Western, you say people would think, you know, maybe I was, you know, smoking something funny for us to be able to achieve that. But we did. Yes. And uh, we're able to conduct this podcast remotely so easily because of that foundational work that you and your team have done. So thank you. I've got one last question for you here, Upinder. Thinking about this pandemic, there's a lot of talk about when we get back to normal. But I'm just wondering, as enterprises move towards getting their employees to work remotely, when the pandemic is over, will they just all come back to work? Or is there a new normal that we should be thinking about as we go forward? Western, I don't think normal will be the same as we used to know it, not only in business, but also personally. There will be a new norm. I think a lot of corporations are going to see that they are able to achieve a lot of what they need to achieve remotely. So I would expect a lot less travel. For example, we don't know how long this crisis is going to carry on. We're taking on implementation of moving Oracle to the Oracle Cloud, and we're going to try to do that virtually. Uh, It's probably the first time we're going to do that for a very large implementation. So I think certainly the new norm is going to be very different to prior to this pandemic. Well, I want to thank you for your insights, Upinder. It's been great speaking with you today. Weston, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Upinder Fanda, the CIO of Unisys, who has kindly taken some time to share with us what it has taken to get 20,000 employees working from home in just a few days. If you'd like to find out more about the Unisys Digital Workplace Services, Cloud Forte, or Stealth Security that Upinder talked about in this podcast, head over to unisys.com. This is the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thank you for listening. Thank you.